You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, The primary focus of our text today is on Isaac. And Isaac is an interesting character um, because he's the son of a great father and the father of a great son, but there's not a lot written about him. Um, Some have even said about Isaac that he's the mediocre son of a great father and the mediocre father of a great son. And it seems a little bit harsh to me, I think, because I, there's probably more to him than that, but there's not a lot written about him. And, and so the primary focus of this text today um, is that God is confirming his covenant to Isaac. That really is the primary point, is that the Lord uh, had come to Abraham, and we've, we've talked about this on Sunday mornings for, for months now, literally, how God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and gave him a covenant, said, I'll bless you, uh, I'll make a great nation of you, I'll give you lands, I'll, I'll bless all nations of the earth through you. But at this point, Abraham um, is either at the end of his life or coming to the end of his life or he's already passed. Uh, the chronology sometimes is hard to tell in the book of Genesis. Um, but, but God coming to Isaac is, is a help to Isaac to know that God's promises aren't over just because Abraham dies. That Abraham got a promise from God, but that promise will continue. That covenant will continue. So this is important for Isaac, but it's also important for the original readers. And and I've said this many times in in this study in Genesis. The original readers of the book of Genesis are the children of Israel as they're leaving uh, Egypt and they're going into the promised land, which is a... It's about a 40-year window, so it could be any time in that. But as Moses is writing out these, the, the manuscripts of these first five books of the Bible, and the children of Israel are reading them or hearing them, it's giving them confidence that the promises they're banking on are real. Because they're leaving Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're about to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they need some assurance that God is on their side because it's a big deal for them to go into this nation, this this land, this country and start winning it over, to start beating people in battle. And the fact that they can read these accounts gives them confidence that God really is with them. Uh, The other part of this is the practical lesson in that Isaac... We see him following in his father's footsteps, not just in the good ways, but also in the bad ways. See, Abraham had received God's call and his promises, and and just like Isaac, right here, Isaac receives the promise. Abraham had faced a a famine before. Isaac faces a famine right here. Abraham twice lied about his wife, Sarah, being his sister because he was afraid in Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. Well, here in Genesis 26, Isaac is doing the same thing. It's deja vu all over again. And because these two men of faith dealt with bad choices in a trial, then we obviously have something to learn from it. And by the way, be careful of assuming that since we've already looked at some of the things that these truths that we don't need them again. 
uh, you know, part of the Bi reading the Bible that I've learned is the most basic lessons are the ones I need just about every day. I need to hear things over and over. Repetition is the key to learning. We need repetition on the big lessons in Scripture. The other thing, though, is even though it's repeated, there are details here that can, I think teach the lesson even from a different angle. And that's what I want to see. The first thing, obviously, is that Isaac faced a famine. There was a famine in the land, and, and unlike you or I, he couldn't go to, his, go to his kitchen sink and just turn the water on. Uh, there was a famine, and, and here's, it's interesting to me, it's easy to see, you know, sometimes we think that famines are only for the people that are doing wrong, but that's not the case. Famines, uh, anybody can face a famine, they are not limited to those living in disobedience, because uh, Isaac's not doing anything wrong. I mean, Isaac, it seems like Isaac's doing what he ought to do. The famine affected everyone, but famines don't mean that also, they don't mean that God has stopped watching over you. You may be in a time of famine right now in your spiritual life and you may be struggling over something right now and it may seem like God has stopped watching over you. But we could read in this passage and we will that God has not given up on Isaac just because there's a famine. It doesn't mean that God is not working in his life. As a matter of fact, God uses the famine to reveal things about Isaac. To help Isaac to see who he really is so that he can grow and become more like what God wants him to be. And you will have said this too if you've lived a Christian life any length at all. Is that there are times in your life that are not, hard, or that are not easy, they're difficult, they're hard. And looking back you would never want to go through them again. Except for the fact that God used the difficulty to change you. And that's exactly what he does here for Isaac. And yet Isaac... Kind of, kind of comes up with his own plan. See, there's a famine. He faces a famine. But rather than trusting God for it, he, flees to, he starts to flee toward Egypt. See, uh, Isaac goes to this place called Gerar. There at the end of verse, uh, verse, chap, verse number one, he goes to Gerar. And it's interesting, if you look on a map, that where Isaac likely was to where Isaac was likely going, Egypt. And right in the middle is Gerar. We know where he's going. He's going to Egypt. God sees his direction and God intervenes. Look at verse 2. It says, And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. So like father, like son. Abraham had fled to Egypt during a famine. And, and listen, I just want to say this. God does not condemn children for the sins of their parents. But cer children certainly deal with the effects of their parents' sins. The consequences of, a, of sin affect a whole family. And for those of you, and I, I, you know, I don't want to make light of this. It's a very serious ob, uh, situation. But for those that have dealt with a divorce in your home, then you know that that, that, that choice has consequences on a whole family. You know, children, don't, children are not uh, insulated from the sins of their parents. A dad that deals with anger all the time, a child that affects a child. A mother that deals with, with anxiety or depression, it affects their children. So, so yes, God doesn't judge children for the sins of their parents, but the, but the sins of the parents certainly affect the children. Not only that, they, they affect the children that way, but they also tend to affect children in such a way that as you see it patterned out in your parents and you grow up, you're much more likely to follow the pattern that you've seen. 
and I don't know, many of you probably have done this. You said, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be nothing like my dad. And I can't tell you how many moments in my life as a dad, I stop what I'm doing and realize I'm just like my dad. You know, you, you, can, you can say that our choices and our actions don't affect them too much, but boy, it, it does. My, my wife and I very often will look at each other and say, you know, they got that, that part is from you. And, and it will say they, they got the worst of both of us sometimes. Sorry, kids, you know. Well, Isaac's response was, was to flee and go to Egypt just like his dad. And this is a big deal because God even says it. He says, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Where Isaac was mattered to God. See, Isaac, his response was to flee to Egypt, but, but he was leaving the place God led his family to settle in. He was leaving the place that God wanted Abraham and his family to be in, the land of promise. And therefore, this was the place God wanted to work in Isaac's life. And I want you to get this. I'm kind of laying some groundwork here, but there's lessons along the way. Be, be careful of this. When things get hard, you may assume you're supposed to just pack up and go somewhere else. But it could be that God's most important lessons come from staying right where it's hard. And this happens in a lot of people's lives and, and people, uh, I, I mean, I've seen it and you've seen it, how it's, not diff it's difficult, it's not going well. And so uh, a spouse will just leave a family. And, and they say, well, it's hard here, so I'm going to leave this and go somewhere where it's easier. Or I see this in churches where, where you've, got, you've got church families and, and they're thinking, well, it's not, it's not easy here. Or it, it's not the way I want it here. So they think I will pack up and I'll go somewhere else where it'll be easier. And they just kind of throw it all out and move along. Or at work, it happens at work where it's not going exactly the way that you want it. It's not the environment you thought it would be. And you think, well, I'm just going to pack up and I'll go find something else. And listen, there may be times where that might be a wise decision. But I just want you to remember this, that you're better off in a hard place with God than in any easy place without him. And it's good for us to remember that it's not always the best answer just to pack up and leave. Sometimes he wants us to stay right where we are, where it's hard, because that's where he wants us to learn. That's where he wants us to grow. Isaac has a faith-building opportunity. God says, you, you're here in Gerar, just stay right here where you are in the land of the Philistines right here. And he comes and he says, I want you to know my promise is still valid. I still have a covenant with you. And notice this phrase in verse 3 that I think is really helpful. He says, sojourn in this land... And I will be with thee and will bless thee. And then he gives other promises. And, you know, this is interesting. This is a huge promise. This is the first time that this promise, that, that I have found that this promise is in the covenant. God says, not only am I going to bless you, not only will I give you lands, and I'll, I'm not just going to give you nations. Uh, I'm not just going to bless all nations of the earth. I will be with you. And you read down in verse 24, and he says the same thing. The Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. You know, it's not just about God's blessings in our lives. That's not just what we're looking for. We're looking for God's presence in our lives. And honestly, God's presence in our life is really more important than God's blessings in our lives. If, we were, if God is with us, then it doesn't matter where I go. I'm in the very best place. And that's what we need to think about here, that, 
that Isaac is, he's been given this great lesson right here. And he said, I am with you. I, this covenant is still true. It's still valid. And listen, all, and he says in verse 4, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So you say, well, well, that's just Isaac riding the coattails of his dad. I don't believe that's the point that God's making. I believe God is saying this to Isaac. I believe he's saying, listen, all it takes for me to bless you is just for you to obey. And your father, Abraham, he did it. All he, he obeyed. He did, did what I asked him to. He had faith and I blessed him because of it. And, and it, sometimes we think, well, it takes somebody with this amazing faith to be blessed and be used by God. But all it takes for God to respond with blessings is faith and, and obedience. And God's not looking for Christian superheroes. He's looking for ordinary, everyday people. You might even say, Isaac, if he was mediocre, that's okay with God. He's looking for just people that will have faith and will obey. And if you'll obey his word, he'll bless you too. I'm thankful for those truths. So Isaac obeys, it says in verse 6, that he dwelt in Gerar. And if that was the end of the story, we'd be like, yes, good, good job, Isaac. But it's not. See, unfortunately, he loses sight of the promises that were just made to him. Look at verse 7. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, she's my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Now, I, I don't know how else to say it. Rebecca was obviously, she was a bombshell. I mean, I think that's the Hebrew word. Fair look upon, bombshell. I mean, Isaac's afraid. She's so beautiful. Folks, I'm, I'm, this is not made up. She's so beautiful that Isaac's afraid the Philistines are going to kill him and take her. Now, listen, I, I think it's pretty obvious that Isaac married way above his level. Which, any man in this room, if you're smart, you will say that too. I married far above my level. And I did too. Amen? We all did. And my, by the way, husbands, you can use this. Um, if you really want to get points with your wife, you say, Honey, you're so beautiful that I, my life literally is in danger if I'm seen with you. Amen. That's how beautiful you are. Points right there. Now, just skip the second part because don't, if you say, pretend like you're my sister, all the points are gone, like immediately. <laughs> so that one, that part does not work. But obviously she's beautiful. I mean, over in Genesis 24, when Abraham's servant first sees her, she's beautiful. I mean, she, there's something about her that just catches your attention. And, and God says, now, so I just want you to pay attention to what's happening. God literally has just said, don't go to Egypt I am with you. All the blessings that I made to your father, uh, they're all still valid. It's all going to be okay. And the next thing you know, Isaac turns around and lies about Rebecca. I mean, get this. God says, I'm with you. I'll bless you. I'm going to give you all these countries. I'm gonna, I'm going, all the promises are yours. I will bless you with children like the stars of the heaven. And I'll bless all the nations of the earth through you. And Isaac's response should have been, wow, God, thank you for the confidence. Thank you for the confirmation. I am all in. You are with me. Promises like that give me confidence that I can trust you no matter what. Thank you, God. 
But instead, his response is, I'm afraid they're going to kill me, Rebecca. Pretend like you're my sister. I mean, do you see how strange this is? I mean, how, how, how interesting that his mind could go from God speaking to him, I'm with you, to looking around saying, I'm afraid. Pretend like you're my sister. And the trial in Isaac's life revealed a weakness of his faith. It revealed fear in him, which God should have helped with when he said, I'm with you. But rather than faith, Isaac lets fear drive him. And if God keeps his promises, does Isaac have anything to worry about? No. Don't, but don't be too hard on him. Because we do this too. See, trials come and we'd rather escape the trial. God says, no, no need to run. I'm with you. I've got your back. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. We have all kinds of promises that in our hardest times, God is with us and God will help us and God will all actually grow us in the trial. All things work together for good to them that love God. We have these promises and we say, okay, God. And then we look around and say, wait, no, not okay, God. I, I know what you said, but this situation is too big. See, fear can turn a confident Christian into a coward just like that. And what's the process? Well, we have a trial which happens to everybody. And that trial produces fear, which is a natural response to a trial. I mean, when something is unknown, our natural response is fear. When, when, when something is, is, uh, is bigger than we can handle, our natural response is fear. Um, and I was talking to... Brother, I was talking to somebody in the last couple of weeks, brother, I think Brother Dennis, Van Z, and he said, you know, I just don't really have a lot of natural fear. And I'm thankful for that for him, but that's not me. I mean, I still, if I walk around the church at night locking up doors and it's dark, I mean, I pick up the pace a little bit. I don't know why. I mean, I, I may or may not still jump into bed from about five feet out. I don't know. You know, most of us are creatures of fear. When there's something unknown or there's something that is big, then we're afraid. And, and, but rather than our fear resulting in a choice to have faith, many times, instead, it leads us to a choice to sin. Because here's what should happen when you're facing a trial. You're facing something bigger than you can handle. And you're, maybe you're carrying something that's bigger than you can handle. And what, sh what should happen for us Christians is our heads should do this. But what happens for the most part is our heads do this. And rather than have faith, we look around and it develops fear. And if we keep looking around, rather than looking up for answers, we're looking around for answers or we're looking within for answers and that always leads to sin. Because anything that we do in our own strength apart from God is sin. Fear is, not a, fear is a natural response to danger. It's not a sin in and of itself. But choosing to deal with that fear apart from God is sin. And Isaac had the greatest possible resource with a direct line to God. God himself. But instead of turning to the creator of the universe to help him with this 
what seems to us to be a pretty small situation, a fearful situation, yes, but not huge, but he tries to deal with it on his own. And you know what his solution is? Lie. Not trust God, not seek the Lord's help, not let God take care of it, lie. And the last time I checked, the Bible says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Listen, I will go back to parents and children. And parents, listen, our natural responses will become our children's natural responses when they face their own trials. What they're watching you do when it gets hard is what they're going to do when it gets hard. See, when faced with a situation of fear, Isaac defaulted to the tendencies of his father. And that's all the more reason, parents, listen, all the more reason to tighten up our faith responses. And this is not just moms and dads. This is anybody with influence. Because somebody's watching you. And when the screws are tightened in your life, and you're in a situation that's not easy and it's getting harder, what is your response? If your response is, is you're going to lash out, or your response is you're going to go into despair, or your response is I'm just going to give up and I'm going to throw in the towel, or your response is I've got to figure out my own way through this. If that's your response, just be ready because someday that your children will respond the same way that you are, moms and dads, and people with influence. Anybody that has somebody else watching them and taking their cues from you, your response isn't just important to keep you from sin. It's important because others are watching. And if you have influence, your spirit and your words and your behavior and your anger, they're picked up by people watching you. Isaac's choice to respond in fear resulted in failure. See, when we try to deal with our fears on our own, the result is always failure. Always. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, we don't know exactly what this means. I'm view, I envision it, they're flirting. And it, I'm, you know what flirting, probably you know what flirting looks like. You know what, by the way, husbands and wife, it's okay to flirt. Yeah, you, you ought to flirt to the point that sometimes your children run away from the room saying, ah. <laughs> when we want to be alone, we just start sporting. <laughs> and our kid's like, get out here. They run away. It's awesome. But just like that. Isaac and Rebecca are sporting. And I don't know what they were doing. I'm not sure. They were sporting. They were flirting. But whatever it was, Abimelech looked out the window and said, they are brother and sister. See, here's the thing. What Isaac thought he could hide was obvious to other people. It, Christians, be real. Because people can see right through it when you're not real. Responding incorrectly to our fear in a trial doesn't just affect us. It affects the testimony before other people. And here's Abimelech. He's a pagan king. He's a Philistine. He does not serve the one true God. And he comes and confronts Isaac in verse 9. Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. And how sayest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. He comes. Isaac calls him. He doesn't even text. It says he called Isaac. <laughs> like, and you know when you get a call, it's serious. He calls him says, come talk to me. What are you doing? Here's a pagan king who, who Isaac would have said, 
These people have no morals. Isaac would have said, they're not saved. They have no morals. They have no moral compass. When they find out she's my wife, they're just going to kill me. And they're going to take her to be their wife. I know that's what they're going to do. And she calls it, he calls and says, why? What are you doing? Why would you say that? And Isaac said, I was afraid lest I would die for her. And Abimelech says, what is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people, one of my men might have taken your wife and committed adultery with your wife. And then we would have been guilty. So here's Isaac, the son of promise, with very little moral compass. He's telling lies. And here's Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and he has a moral compass. And he's like, no, adultery is not good. We would have, that is not good for us. We don't want to be guilty before your God. So he says, just to let you know how serious I am about this, in verse 10, Abimelech says, uh, in verse uh, 11, Abimelech charged all his people saying, he that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I want you to know how serious this is to me, Isaac. This is how serious it is for us to be doing, doing things the right way. Anybody that touches you or anybody that touches your wife, they're dead. It's interesting that a, to me that God uses a first, that God, a, a Philistine would have a moral compass over God's, God's man. And that should never be that way, by the way, Christian. You know, somebody else on the outside is looking at you. And, and they're saying, well, my standard is here, but their standard is here. That doesn't really compute. But that's amazing or interesting to me. But what also is interesting to me is that God uses Abimelech to force Isaac to come clean. See, Isaac's conscience didn't kick in. It's not like Isaac couldn't sleep at night. He's like, I guess got to make this right. No, he was caught. And this is how sin works, is that we can pretend to be something we're not, but there's a built-in law that what we do in darkness will be brought to the light. Be sure your sin will find you out. And before you think it's unfair that God would expose sin, and understand sin, all, all it does is destroy. And it's an act of God's mercy that our sin is ever exposed. And I'm thankful I have a friend named John Vaught. He pastors in Arizona, and some of you may know him. But when he was in college there at Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City, he was driving down the road, and suddenly there's a group of guys on the side of the road, and suddenly he hears something hit his car. So, And he's a strong, muscular, athletic guy, and I'm sure he was going to go witness to those guys. I don't know. So he stopped his car. And he got out. And he wasn't being confrontational. He was just asking, what's the deal? Because something hit his car. They threw a brick or a rock or something. And he got out. And they immediately just jumped him. And they beat him just about to death. They beat him bad. So he went to the hospital. And they were taking x-rays and trying to figure out all the injuries and everything. And while they're taking the x-rays, they're like, wow, what's that right there? They started exploring it, come to find out. He had cancer in his neck. And so they started treating it. They did surgery, treated it, and he was able to come through that. But it's interesting, though, that it took that situation for the cancer to be revealed. 
and you think, boy, I would not want to go through that situation. It's unfair. I wouldn't want that. I mean, how could, how could that happen to somebody like that? And yet, if you, real, if you think about it, um, the fact that, that his cancer was exposed saved his life. And if there are times where there are situations in our lives that reveal our sin. And our sin comes to the surface. Our sin comes to light. And now it's known and maybe our spouse finds out or children, our parents find out. And we think that's the worst thing ever. Except for the fact that sin is way worse than cancer. And if sin is left untouched, it will destroy your life. Be thankful that God in his mercy exposes our sin so that we don't have to remain uh, in danger of that sin destroying us. It's like cancer and it destroys us if it's left unchecked. What's wonderful about this story is that God, God desires to still bless Isaac even after all this. It's interesting, Here we can find some real encouragement. This is where we come down to it, so really lock in. We're, we're about to get to the point here. We can find encouragement in the fact that Isaac's failure of faith didn't result in God just tossing him aside. Look at verse 12. It says, then Isaac sowed. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. It's interesting. The Lord blessed Isaac incredibly. After he moved past the issue of deception. He waxed great. He went forward. He became great. He was so great, the Philistines envied him. And that turns into something not good, but it was, he, that's how much he had. I just want you to think about the process here. You, you've got a trial. Isaac faces a trial. There's famine. There's no food. There's no water. He wonders where things are coming from. And that trial turns into fear. He finds himself in a new place. He doesn't trust the people around him. He's afraid for his life because of this beautiful wife. And instead of turning to God, he, Isaac turns it into sin. And rather than just trust what God had promised, he, he said, I'll be with you. No, Isaac decides to work his own plan. He lies about his wife. He deceives the people around him. He trusts his plans instead of God, trusting God. That's in it in a nutshell. But God allows his issue to be confronted. And afterward, God blesses Isaac's labor with blessings. Incredible blessings. You say, okay, so what? Well, this should be encouraging to us. Because Isaac faced a tough trial, a famine, and he allowed that trial to become fear, and he allowed fear to become sin, a failure, but after a confrontation, God blessed him. This is quite the truth. Listen, it doesn't matter how big your trial, and it doesn't matter how great your fears, and it doesn't matter how badly you sinned, God can transform any failure into something fruitful. See, humanly speaking, we may consider Isaac a failure. He faced a trial and he failed. He had fears and he failed. He sinned and he failed. And if you look at his whole life, there's really not much impressive about him. His dad was, was this great man of faith and who has, the, by the way, the best junior church song of all time written about his dad. That's pretty significant. 
His son, Jacob, was a great man who became the father of the nation Israel. His name was actually changed to Israel. His grandson, Joseph, saved the whole world in another famine later on. And yet, here's Isaac. He's just Isaac. He's just a guy. He just, I mean, his label is, I fled in a famine. I was afraid and I turned that fear into a failure. Not a real great track record. Nothing too impressive except for this. That God had made some promises to him. Promises like, I will bless you. I'll give you all this land. You'll have seed like the stars of heaven. And someday all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. And now listen, we don't pretend like we have these exact promises. These aren't made to us. But we are promised like Isaac that God will never leave us or forsake us. We are promised, just like Isaac, that if we obey God's word, he'll bless us in spiritual and tangible ways. We have our own promises. See, but wait, but wait, here's what we do. But wait, have you seen the trial that I've been going through? There's no way God can bless me after that. After that. Well, but wait, have you seen the fear that I have? I live with fear. I live with anxiety. I live with those things. God can't do for me what he did for Isaac. Oh, but wait, uh, hold on, if the whole world could see the sins that I've done, if the whole world could see it on a screen, then they would know there's no way God could ever use me. Except, let me just remind you that Isaac's sins are laid bare for all of us to read about. We know exactly what he did. We know exactly where he failed. We know exactly where his father failed. And we see these sins, and they're big. They're not small. They were, they were missteps of faith. You talk about deja vu, um, Isaac, and then uh, followed Abraham, but there's deja vu in my life too, and you just don't know. I mean, it's deja vu all over again. I have a trial, I'm afraid, I sin, it's over and over, I'm in the deja vu cycle, and I can't get out of it. Except, listen, if God could do it for Isaac, he could do it for you. And I want you to get this, God's blessings are not limited to what we did yesterday. His blessings are only limited by how we respond to what we did yesterday. God's blessings are not limited to what we did yesterday. His blessings are only limited by how we respond to what we did yesterday. He's not labeling you based on your trials. He's not labeling you based on your fears. He's not labeling you based on your failures. He will label you based on how you respond to all of those things. We all fail. We all face trials. We all have failures and sin and difficulty. The question is, after it, do you get back to work? Isaac sowed. After the failure, what's your response? I mean, when you're confronted about an area that needs change, do you get defensive? Do you get upset at hearing something you don't want to hear? Do you assume that you're right and everyone else is wrong? Be careful, because God doesn't limit us based on what we did yesterday, but he will limit us based on how we respond to what we did yesterday. He doesn't hold our failures against us. He's a forgiving God. I'm going to say that again. God is a forgiving God. And he forgives us of our sin. As much as we confess it, he forgives it. But he will limit his blessings and our usefulness if we refuse to respond with humility and faith. Maybe you're in the trial phase. 
and your response to the difficulty hasn't been all that great because some people grow bitter and they grow angry at God. And they blame it all on God and they get angry and bitter and they can't be used because of bitterness. Some people get complacent. They just throw in the towel and say, I give up, I'm done. But there are those who refuse to be defined by their trials. And they instead say, wait, God's made promises. And by faith, I'm going to claim those and let the trial do the work God wants it to. I'll stay where it's hard because if I'm with God, that's where I'm supposed to be. And our response to the difficulty makes the difference in whether or not God can continue to bless us and use us. What kind of fears are keeping you from following God wholeheartedly? I'm telling you, we live in a world of fear, don't we? I mean, everything causes fear. Everyone's afraid. Isaac was afraid, and listen, that's not wrong, but his response to the fear was wrong. And we have to be careful that we don't make every decision based on fear, or it will lead us to sin too. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Faith and fear are incompatible. Are you afraid of trusting God to take care of something in your life? Are you afraid to take a step of faith? Are you afraid of being wrong? Are you afraid of admitting you were wrong and looking bad? I mean, I know in a, in a marriage, well, it's hard sometimes to humble yourself. But really, what's so hard about humbling yourself? But it's hard. I mean, are you afraid? Are you allowing fears to keep you from surrendering to God's will, young person? Listen, our, this missions conference, missions revival was great for our young people. By my count, I think we had about four young people that said, if God wants me in missions, I'll go. I mean, amen. It's a blessing. But there may be some that are still holding on. Are you afraid? Are you afraid that if you surrender that God might actually make you go to Africa? I mean, I, I get it. But remember the truth we heard earlier. You're better off in a hard place with God than in an easy place without him. Wherever God is, that's where I want to be. And if God wants to, you to, to take you and use you, and I'm just looking at this group here, but I really need to be looking at the whole group. Because God may want to use you in different ways, and maybe not overseas, but maybe right here at Eastside Baptist Church, where the devotion for Brother Mark Griebel this morning that was just awesome about taking a step up and, and taking a, a step into leadership. And maybe God wants a man in this room to take a step up and lead something and, and say, I will be the one responsible to lead in this area, and let's go do this. Maybe God wants you to do something like that. Maybe there's a, a, a lady in the room that God wants you to take somebody under your wing and you're afraid of being vulnerable and you're afraid I can't do that. I don't have anything to offer them. But listen, if God is leading you to it, just like Isaac, I mean, God was leading him to stay where he was and just to trust him and he would have taken care of every one of his needs and he will for you too. What are you afraid of? You know, truthfully, our greatest fear ought to be acting apart from God. Listen, it's not the failure that defines how God can bless you and use you. He's not limited by your failures. He's only limited by your response to failure. Ask King David about this. You know, David could have been defined by his failures. But instead he responded to Nathan the prophet with humility. And he eventually had a descendant named Jesus 
who is called the son of David. Or you could go ask Jonah. God really wanted to use him, but he allowed a trial and a fear and sin to limit his usefulness. And, and at the end of the chapter, I mean, God used him, but at the end of the book of Jonah, he's just sitting there. Or you could ask Peter about this. Talk about failure. He denied Jesus three times, but was used to change the world with the gospel. Because he responded correctly. Or you could talk to countless Christians who faced a trial or were so afraid or had a major failure and some responded poorly and they missed out. But plenty of others decided to respond by faith and just get back to work and God has blessed their lives. The future of your family or your life or as a Christian or this church, it's not dependent on whether or not there were failures because there will be failures. We are human and God help us if we discard the failures. Because we all, we all could, could be failures. There will be failures. It's not, that, that will not determine the future of Eastside Baptist Church. That's not going to, the failure will not determine the future of your family. The failure will not determine your future as a Christian. You know what will determine your future as a Christian or the future of Eastside or the future of your family? It's not the failure. It's your response to the failure. And if you will, instead of saying, well, no, I didn't fail or no, this failure was no big deal. And you will instead say, yes, I failed, but I'm back with God now. And I'm going to get back to work. God isn't limited by our failures, but he will limit us based on our responses. It's not what you did yesterday that defines how much God can do with your life. It's your response when confronted about what you did yesterday that will determine God's presence and blessings and your usefulness. Don't let your failures limit God. Respond to them with faith and obedience and then watch him bless you in ways you never thought possible. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.